Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Well, again, hello to all my new listeners. It's been fun to see our podcast continue to grow and grow. Uh, it's been fun to get listeners now. We've had, um, just as we've just been tracking over the last couple of months, uh, we've had 4,500 downloads recently. Uh, we have people from Canada listening, uh, Germany, uh, Kenya, New Zealand, and Myanmar, uh, among other countries. And of course, the biggest audience is the United States, and we're in most of the states here within the United States. So the, thank you. Thanks for, for all those who are listening in. I'm glad that this has been a helpful um, nonprofit podcast. Um, and today's going to be no different. In fact, today's topic is risk management. Uh, managing risk is not necessarily the, the first topic most nonprofit leaders want to talk about. In fact, for many, risk is a four-letter word, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like going to the dentist. You have to do it. It's really critical to your overall health to go see a dentist on a regular basis. Well, in the same way, managing risk for your nonprofit is critical to the health of your organization, and particularly in this world. Uh, our guest today will talk about our high-tech world and the emerging risks that nonprofits didn't have to worry about five or 10 years ago, but today are very real risks. And so this is an opportunity to get ahead of it, uh, to be proactive and, and not have to react to a bad situation, but really be proactive with your risk management. My guest today is Ted Billich. He's the founder of Risk Alternatives, and their mission is to build stronger communities by helping nonprofits and startups master risk management management, and process improvement. They work with nonprofits as well as startups and small businesses to help them grow and succeed. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show, and it's going to be one of those where you're going to want to take some notes because he gives us some great insights. Enjoy today's show. Ted, thanks so much for calling in from the D.C. area. Uh, this is a very important topic. It's one of those topics that we don't like to talk about as nonprofit leaders, but it's really important. So thanks for being on the show. Um, let's go right into that first question. What are the biggest and most impactful emerging risks facing the nonprofit sector right now? Well, Rob, thanks for having me on the show. And, and uh, I could go on all day about this question. I'll, I'll try, uh, however, to focus on four key risks. Uh, the first one is... Nonprofits are not as aware of risk management as they should be. So as a result of that, they, they don't know the tools that are out there to make the, their lives easier. And so a lack of awareness is the first major risk I would identify. The second risk is one that is emerging throughout the sector, and, and you can trace it back before the last election cycle, but I would call it the politicization of the nonprofit sector. Uh, with, with the change in administration, there are many social services organizations that are feeling under particular scrutiny. Environmental organizations are feeling under particular scrutiny. Um, it, it, 
all sorts of advocacy organizations are, are feeling under particular scrutiny across the political spectrum. And therefore, there is an emerging need to have advocacy be a significant part of the, the nonprofit offering, even when that makes the nonprofit itself somewhat, somewhat uncomfortable. You know, I, I agree with the saying that, that if you aren't at the table, you are on the table. And if nonprofits are not willing to speak up for themselves and their constituents, they have a significant risk in this uh, environment of becoming casualties of the increasing politics of the sector. I'm glad. Let me ask you a follow-up question on that because that has come up on our previous podcast and as I talk to other EDs and CEOs of nonprofits. In your opinion, you know, with your experience working with the nonprofit sector, what specifically has changed uh, with the current political environment that is causing these changes and risks to increase? Well, I, I think there are a couple of things, Rob. First of all, I think it is so much the, – the, the pace of technological uh, communications, technology in particular, uh, has made the – uh, the immediate dissemination of information, whether that information is accurate or not, so easy. The, the Facebookization of our communications means that uh, memes can get so far out in front of the truth that, that it becomes hard to ever walk something back. I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is that, that uh, uh, marketing technology has become so powerful that people are able to micro-test and micro-message in their political uh, messaging. And so you can foment concern or support for issues in a way that even 10 years ago, it was unheard of for political insult, uh, consultants. And so you have this uh, this. The, the speed of communications and the precision of the ability to motivate that I think have have led to you know a a divisiveness a two worlds mentality in terms of the news feeds that people have and therefore a, a breakdown in civil discourse. Excellent. Okay, perfect. Thank you for following up on that. And so any other risks that are emerging right now facing the nonprofit sector? Absolutely. I would identify quickly two other risks. The first one is a, 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 a risk, I think, especially for um, more liberal nonprofits in the sector, and that is the potential backlash of the Me Too movement. As strong as the Me Too movement is, as necessary as it is, there is going to be at some point some backlash toward especially liberal organizations that have been emphasizing the Me Too message. And so as a result of that, it's, you know, you, you go back to the notion that, that it's not just glass houses. It doesn't matter whether your nonprofit um, has, uh, has a good record on the issue of sexual harassment. People are going to come looking for examples of organizations that, are high, that can be made a high-profile example uh, in order to create a perhaps false equivalence um, within, the, within you know, the, the discussion and discourse about the Me Too movement. 
And so if I, when I'm advising nonprofits these days, one of the things I'm telling them is be particularly careful that your house is in order because news organizations are going to be especially willing to point to organizations that are ostensibly doing the public good that nevertheless are going to be, uh, you know, found or at least accused of sexual misconduct wrongdoing. The fourth uh, one that I would touch upon, it, it, it sort of flows out of the last three. It's the overwhelming influence of technology on nonprofits. And there's such a, a terrible dynamic there, Rob, because nonprofits tend to uh, lack the resources to invest in infrastructure. And one of the principal things that they lack resources to invest in is technology. And with technology moving so rapidly, it is of profound risk for an organization to be dealing with outmoded communication sources using outmoded uh, platforms with outmoded and buggy software. And yet so many, especially human resource, human services nonprofits uh, in the United States, are doing just that. Well, thank you for that. And you've listed some very important potential risks here. Um, in your opinion, why is risk management something that nonprofits are just so slow to implement? One of the things is is one of the risks that I touched on. It's an awareness issue. There there really isn't as much discourse about risk management in the nonprofit sector as there is in the for-profit sector. You know, because of the high-profile mismanagement and financial craziness that, that's gone on over the last 20 years, risk management has become a, a strong priority, at least among publicly traded U.S. companies. Uh, the awareness has not trickled down into the nonprofit sector as much. The second reason I would say is there's a, there's a misunderstanding and fear about the risk management process. Uh, to the extent that people think about risk management, Rob, they often think that it's only focused on what can go wrong, when really a good non uh, nonprofit risk management program would be identifying not only negative risks, which we call threats, but also positive risks. There are such things as positive risks, opportunities to unlock value. And so that misunderstanding, I think, has inhibited development within the sector. The third point is, and I'm sure you've seen this with the nonprofits that, that you've worked with, Rob, um, there is a scarcity mentality in the nonprofit sector. That scarcity mentality manifests in organizations feeling that they need to spend every last dollar on their needy service populations. Any money that's spent on infrastructure, any money that's spent on the caregiving organization itself is viewed uh, at least with some trepidation and sometimes with scorn. Excellent. And, you know, when it comes to long-term implications for a nonprofit organization, if they don't have a risk management policy or plan in place, what are those long-term implications? Well, I always quote Warren Buffett about how it takes 20 years to develop a reputation and five minutes to lose it, Rob. You know, an organization that is a thinly budgeted nonprofit is one error away from disaster. 
They're working without a safety net. And so unlike Volkswagen, which will be able to recover from, from its horrible public relations disaster a couple of years ago, a nonprofit facing an analogous situation might not be able to survive at all. The second implication is that, that they will be unclear about their priorities. Uh, they might think that their number one priority is a fundraising plan and board engagement. That's what funders always say nonprofits ask for in capacity building. But if they have not performed a risk inventory, for instance, which is a term of art that I can talk about, um, and if they haven't developed a risk register to, after prioritizing those risks, well, they may be focusing on the wrong thing. The final thing, Rob, is they may be missing out on substantial value. By not implementing a risk management program, they may be missing low-hanging fruit that they could pick and reap the benefits of if only they had a procedure in place to identify threats and opportunities as a matter of course. And you list a couple of uh, terms, if you will, that uh, some of my listeners may be familiar with, some may not. So let's talk about first risk inventory. How do you define that and how does an organization best implement one? A risk inventory, Rob, is a structured exercise where a small team within the nonprofit identifies threats and opportunities across every function of the organization. So they will look at operations, IT, finances, talent management, reputation management, development, planning and visioning, governance, and a couple of other areas. And in each area, when I facilitate a risk inventory, I have the organization identify three threats and one opportunity so that they're thinking not in terms just of what could happen that's bad, but as well, what could we do somewhat differently in order to reap potential value within this function? When you do that, it's a really eye-opening experience because your, your team has the opportunity to identify things that may not be within their area of expertise, but nevertheless has been nagging them for some period of time. And so there's a sense of empowerment, and there's the opportunity to begin having some of those crucial conversations that otherwise nonprofits may be too busy to ever have. That's great. Okay, the second term you mentioned uh, was having um, a risk register. Um, talk about nonprofits and how they should engage in a prioritization exercise to rank the identified risks. And then you mentioned how you gather them into a risk register. Talk about that a little bit more. What do you mean by this? Absolutely. Well, y- you can imagine, Rob, that if that if you're a mid-sized nonprofit and you have four people go through the exercise I just talked about, the inventory, you'll get seventy to a hundred threats and opportunities identified. Many of those will fall off because someone may just not have known the real facts, and that's part of the discussion process after the, after the, the initial risk inventory. But still, if you have a large number of risks, you need to boil that down because if everything's a priority, then nothing is a priority. So the next step in implementing risk management is to prioritize. And and I say the simpler, the better in terms of the way you prioritize. And and there's some guidance on my website, and and people can reach back to me about, you know, various exercises uh, for prioritization. But you want to prioritize those risks down to the top 20 or 25. 
those top 20 or 25 should be put in a very simple document. Risk managers call it a, a risk register, but what it is, it's like in a construction project. It's a prioritized punch list of the high value items for your organization, either things you're doing wrong that you need to change, things, in other words, things that are out there that are threatening to you, or things that you could be doing new or right in a way that would capture value that you're not yet capturing. I always say that the simpler the better with risk inventory, with risk registers. So I always say use an Excel document that has a couple of columns. You know, the name of the risk, what priority it is, what's the next step on that risk, and there can be lots of different steps you might take with different risks. Who owns that risk within the organization? And then what's the next important check-in date for when something should have happened about that risk? You can imagine the power of that, Rob, because if you have a simple Excel document like that, it can become an organic, changeable document over time as you take steps to address those risks. Some will go up in priority. Some will go down. As you assign ownership, all of a sudden, the executive director or CEO does not have his or her name next to every risk, and she has she or he has someone to have dialogue with about a, uh, about a threat or an opportunity. So much power comes out of having a risk register. You've given us some great um, explanations about these terms. Another term you've talked about is a risk cycle and implementing that. Um, and one more uh, you know explanation there. Talk about that a little bit more. How does a leader figure that out for their organization? What exactly is a risk cycle and how do you implement one? Absolutely. A risk cycle captures the notion that risk is risk management is not a one-and-done exercise. The risk cycle involves identifying risks, prioritizing them, responding to them, assessing and improving upon your performance, identifying more risks, and so on and so on through the cycle. Now, initially, that risk cycle is going to probably be check-ins as part of ordinary staff meetings. You know, I advise my uh, my clients that, that they should – simply have an agenda item on their monthly all-staff or their month, monthly senior executive meeting that, that raises the risk register and pulls it out for all to see. Um, over time, the risk cycle can become more robust. You know, once an organization's senior management is starting to use the risk cycle, um, you can train downward into employees. You can train upwards into the board of directors. You can create feedback loops for employees or stakeholders or the end users of your services to identify threats and opportunities for you. But the core of that risk cycle is the emphatic notion that risk management needs to be a process. Very good. And I know, according to your website, you've done a lot of this. You've worked with a lot of different nonprofits and not just exclusively to nonprofits. You also work with entrepreneurs and other organizations. Um, share an example of how, say, let's stick with nonprofits because of our podcast, of course, a nonprofit organization or a nonprofit leader who have really implemented a solid risk management program slash policy and put it into place effectively. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I'm not going to na- mention names, but I will, because 
I, I haven't asked them whether I could mention names, but I can give you two examples from nonprofits I'm currently working with that, that give two contexts in which risk management has made a material difference. And some of these contacts, uh, contexts may really resonate with your podcast audience. The first one is uh, executive director took over uh, a nonprofit after a long-term executive director had preceded them. And in that case, uh, the new executive director brought me in to perform a risk inventory and develop a risk register with her senior personnel. And we're now doing monthly coaching sessions where we go through each of the elements, each of the functional areas of the nonprofit, and I have questions that I will ask her that will engage her in the thought process of keeping the risk management process alive and well and growing within her organization. As a result of that, it has made a material difference in performance. She would say that that she has a better sense of current priorities and she has a framework and common vocabulary for speaking with uh, not only her staff, but also with the board of directors who is becoming increasingly comfortable with their limited but important role in risk management. Another example, Rob, is uh, an organization that a couple of years received significant uh, additional funding over what they had been budgeted previously. In other words, they became a larger organization pretty rapidly. As you'd imagine, uh, that led to a desire for increased professionalization. And, uh, and so when we took them through the risk inventory and risk register process, they were able to identify significant challenges that they could deal with now that might deal with infrastructure issues that if they didn't change now, they would find significant lag in their performance uh, shortly. And, and because they are under greater scrutiny, because they have increased funding, they, they, they might have dealt with what could become, you know, bad news, instead they're able to do it uh, on a reasonable basis before there's any crisis at all. Thanks, Ted. And you also mentioned on your website about the role a board plays on a nonprofit when it comes to the area of mitigating risk. So talk about that. What specific role should a board of a nonprofit organization have in this area of risk management? You know, I didn't, I didn't uh, develop the phrase, but I love the phrase as a good description for what boards should do in risk management. Their mantra should be nose in but hands off. The idea is boards should be nosy about risk management being performed by their staff, but they should allow the staff itself to operationally perform risk management. That doesn't mean that the board should be hands-off, far from it, but they have three limited roles with risk management. Number one, they need to ensure that the staff is, in fact, implementing a risk management process. In other words, they need to be confident that risk management is occurring at the staff level. Second, you know, remember me mentioning that risk register, the board needs to be made aware of not the entire risk register, 
but they certainly need to be made aware of the most significant risks facing the organization, and they need to weigh in from a governance perspective to make sure that the organization has sufficient direction on those critical high-priority items. The third thing that board must do is it needs to set the tone at the top. That tone needs to uh, be very clear throughout the organization that the organization wants to be risk aware, that it wants to have a strong compliance culture to abide by both internal and external rules, and the tone needs to emphasize sound governance, including the notion that the board is supposed to operate within its sphere and allow the operational perso personnel to operate within theirs. Well, my guest today has been Ted Billich. He is the founder and CEO of Risk Alternatives. Their mission is to build stronger communities by helping nonprofits and startups master risk management and process improvement. They work with nonprofits as well as startups and small businesses to help them grow and succeed. Ted, if my listeners hear this podcast and they want to get more information about you or your organization, where would you send them? Rob, the first place I'd send them is to our website, risk-alternatives.com. In fact, uh, I will give you... Um, some links that you could share in your in your uh, uh, show notes, but they will also find links there to three items that would specifically draw upon the discussion we've had today. One is there's a report about how to perform a risk inventory that takes an organization step by step uh, about how to do it, and of course it's free. There's also a sign up for a series that we've started on how to begin doing risk management, and, and, and that would be free. The third item is there is a report about, it is a report for funders, foundations, about how foundations should be approaching risk management among their grantee communities. And if I were advising a nonprofit, I would say download that free report as well because that's going to serve as the basis for being able to have a discussion with potential funders about how they might be able to help you build a risk management process. So our website has lots of re useful resources. The other places they could find me is my, my email address, tedbillich at riskalternatives.com, and on Twitter as at tbillich. Ted, thank you so much for taking time and calling in from the D.C. area. Again, I know it's risk management, not necessarily something you want to talk about. It's not what drives people in uh, nonprofit worlds, but it's so critical. And as you said, um, you know, this is one of those things where you could have 20 years, again, of great history, but five minutes of a mistake, and it just can bring down the whole nonprofit. So I really appreciate all you're doing to help nonprofits and uh, other smaller businesses to just manage and mitigate those risks. Thanks again for your time. My pleasure, Rob. And just to say, I can't... I can't say enough about the good things you're doing by having your podcast. Thank you very much for, for having me on. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. 
You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.